my kid's favorite movie currently is The Muppets Most Wanted. Have you ever seen it? Oh, yeah, of course. It's it's older now. It's like 2018 or something. You know, I've told you the story. This is an influential movie. No. In me attending Granite Springs Church. No, I don't know the story. <laughs> but you saying you're number one just made me think of the song. You're number, number one. one. I'm number, I'm number one. one. You're number, you're number two. two. Um, I'm criminal at large, but I'm at much at larger than you or something. <laughs> you play the song uh, Working in the Coal Mine that they play when they're escaping from prison. Yeah. In that movie. Yeah. You played that song for the offertory my very first Sunday. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> that's too great. Had you seen the movie? Great. And I'd seen the movie and loved the movie, and I thought, this is the church for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it's a much more, like, it's a, they're covering the song in The Muppets, yeah? Sure, it's an old song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. All, but, I mean, I assumed when you were playing it, you were not playing a Muppets Play Most Wanted <laughs> soundtrack <laughs> song. Well, it could have been. <laughs> Welcome to Curious Church Podcast. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Um, welcome again, Kevin Adams. Reverend Doctor. Reverend Doctor. Kevin Adams. Always happy to be with you, too. And uh, it's especially fortuitous that he's here, as uh, if you've listened to previous, the last couple episodes, you'll know that we are kind of talking through his book. Yep. I, I don't want to say we're improving it, Matt. Would you say that these conversations make it a little bit better? Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at the book. It's like, it does have already an epilogue, <laughs> but this is kind of an appendix. <laughs> it's like a verbal The way appendix. it should have been. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, actually we do, uh, we've loved this book and are loving going through it. We've been going through it with, uh, as a staff here at Granite Springs Church as well. So um, if you, hopefully you have your copy handy. As Have we you, said the title of the book? The title is Kevin's called, written multiple books. That's so true. That's true. His latest, as of 2020, 2022. What year is it? It's 2022. <laughs> For some reason, it's been that, a long three years. Yeah, I don't know what's been the last Welcome to the Curious Church Podcast, Time Travel Edition. <laughs> um, it's called Living Underwater Baptism as a Way of Life. Um, so we're talking baptism today and uh, the next episode as well. So welcome. Hopefully you have your copy handy as we as you listen. There's Matt's That's copy. Me. I can attest that he's all uh, nice and broken in. Yeah. Uh, should we jump in? Let's I do think it. we've got a meaty one today. We do we ever. You know, we so what we've been doing is we've been looking there's four parts in Kevin's book. I'm not speaking out of turn, right? That's true. What we've been doing is there are four parts <laughs> in Kevin's book, and Good. we've taken a chapter from each part. And are having some conversation about it. So we're not doing kind of a full recap chapter. This isn't an audiobook version of the chapter. <laughs> Although, Matt, we'd love to have you do one. Well, not a bad idea. Know, not a bad idea. We'll, I'm sure we'll end up reading some quotes as we go. Um, yeah. But then using that as a launching pad for kind of further conversation. So part three is titled Baptismal Abuse, which... Ooh. There is plenty of fodder in, there's four chapters in this section, one on identity politics, forced baptism, widow waters, and race. And we are going to be talking about that first chapter, chapter seven, on identity politics. So we're just diving right into the shallow end of the pool for this <laughs> conversation. Um, right. If we, we're talking about baptism as an identity, immediately... To, to, to my mind, says, well, what other ways do we, how else do we consider ourselves? Like, what other identities do we share? 
or do we have? Like as like I could consider myself a dad first or a musician or a husband. Um, but there are all these other ways we can identify ourselves. So mm-hmm. how does how do these things reconcile um, if we are considered baptized first, I think would be maybe where we want to land eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Yeah, that's part of the central argument, I think, of this chapter too, right? Very well said. Yeah. Um, it, we should note that it opens with an unnamed... Yes, an unnamed South Korean friend. (laughs) (laughs) Three guesses. Three guesses who that is. Who happens to have been a guest on this podcast. So we should give a shout out to our friend Q, who uh, talks about just his experience as an immigrant uh, from South Korea. He moved to the States, to Southern California, when he was around 12. Um, But just talking with Kevin and explaining that he feels often uh, like a misfit. Yeah, And you kind of share some of your response, just saying, how are you a misfit? You belong here. Everyone loves you, right. which is true. Right. If you were to see Q move around our church space when he was here, you would see the love, so the true. mutual love shared. So and yet there was still, talking about identity, some part of his cultural identity uh, that made things just a little off. I mean, we had I had many conversations with Q where he's saying, what does this word exactly mean? Right. Or did I say that right? Or is there something I said wrong there? Right. And it was always so even as a, as a speaker, as even a as a speaker, speaker, right? So, right. Uh, right. there was just these layers, and I think it goes to what you're saying, Aaron, too, about the layers of our identity. Um, and then, really, in this chapter, Kevin. I'm sure it's very nice to have people talk about your book to you, but you unpack. <laughs> as long as it's you two, I'm yeah, really good well, with it. Yeah, I'm good Well, with you it. do a really nice job. You kind of bring up sort of two challenges to baptismal identity. As I read through this chapter, there's sort of this civil religion, which we can talk more about, and then there's nationalism, and they're closely interrelated in many ways, but not quite the same thing. Right. Um, and like so much of this book, it's packed with stories, and we can talk about some of those. But then you you talk about, at the end, kind of a baptized patriotism as maybe a, a third way towards a care for nation and culture. Uh, so that's kind of maybe the big... I think sometimes it's helpful to name kind of the big structure, yeah, and then great. we'll dive yep. into different places. Yep. Maybe we can just, we could even go around the room. If there's anything within that that maybe stood out to you and we can kind of launch our conversation. And Kevin, as you look back at this chapter, uh, you know, I'm curious both about what prompted it for you, but then also what stands out to you as you look back. Or like, this is the question that you get to ask an author, I guess. Is there anything where you look back and you say, oh, I I would have said this because now's your chance here on the podcast. (laughs) So I wish I, I wish I'd included this paragraph. Did you have things edited out that you would have liked to have seen? Oh, that's a great question. Included. I don't. Re- I don't. Yes, I think that's <laughs> that's the general answer in terms of the book as a whole. Right. But not a lot, really. Uh, the editors were pretty kind, so that's good. Good. And but they're helpful. We. I do love editors. So there's nothing really that um, I feel like is missing at this point. Although we can talk more about this. There. It's ongoing. One of the things that strikes me is this conversation yep. is ongoing. And uh, not to put too much of a timestamp on it, but as Russia invades the Ukraine, one of the storylines is uh, Mr. Putin thinks he's doing this as a kind of Mm. Christian, right? This is part of his work and service to the church, and the church is kind of buying into it, at least publicly. I think it's a travesty, but it does show there's lots of ways this kind of relationship between 
church and state and baptized and political partisanship and all kinds of things get muddy. And mm-hmm. I think it was Philip Yancey, someone like that, who said, whenever the church uh, and the state work together, the state makes uh, some advantages out of it and the church always loses. Hmm. So not to go there too quickly, but I think I sure. just went there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's helpful. And I, that, I think that's helpful to name too, because you're writing the book from the American perspective. Right. Uh, but A little bit, little bit of a nod to Australia as often as I can. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I mean, this is the reality in places all around the world, right? Right. The, the wrestling with civil religion. And you, you named the U.S. as a particularly interesting and uh, historic intertwining of the two but it's very true in all kinds of places throughout history sure right and the, the church as it struggles with what it means to want power or to have power and what it means to be in relationship with the state so that's a particularly poignant example right now with putin and russia yeah do you have you had a couple you had uh, as you always do matt a well-prepared outline of items <laughs> It's hard to know where to jump in with this topic. I, I know that I personally have some really strong feelings about it. Um, it. It's almost what what's happening for me as I read this book, Kevin, is that I am, am I have this. There's almost a new like I I think of myself in a in a different. I don't think of myself as a Christian. I think of myself as a Christian less and as a baptized person more in some ways just because of what has been sort of done in our country lately, sort of in the name and lately could be the past 200 years, but (laughs) (laughs) what's been done in the name of uh, Christianity rights for, and what sort of the damage that has been done. So, um, so it's been sort of actually helpful for me to tackle, just to reframe my faith in a way um, that doesn't associate me sort of as, at least nominally, with uh, sort of some of the evil that's been going on, been being perpetrated by this sort of uh, church-state combo hmm. that's happening. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, no, I don't I... have any questions about that. <laughs> that's all good. <laughs> it's, just... been, it's, been a pow- it's, it's a powerful concept, and um, I think the idea of baptismal identity being who we are first is um uh, it was helpful for me to kind of see through some of the bs i think this is helpful aaron just i mean as we name sort of what stood out to us and even how we approach the chapter i think i said in a recent staff meeting where we were having this conversation that like just some of my background has made any like inkling towards patriotism rather just strange to me like i just don't quite understand it i kind of moved countries and but less moved cultures like in some ways yes but from australia to the u.s there's a lot of a lot of similarities in many ways and many differences as well but uh as a result i've kind of been one of these third culture kids but always in a white majority culture which is its own like interesting piece uh and so as a result i just never quite understood sort of us a super love for country that (laughs) some people just have baked into them right so as i come to this i uh, like I, the critiques resonate as an outsider looking in more than maybe feeling sort of like I'm within the system. And yet the irony is, of course, I can't really separate. I, like the, like so much of this is 
I both want to separate from sort of institutions and yet I belong to institutions and with people who, uh, want flags in a sanctuary or want, you know, um, various symbols of patriotism patriotism to be a part of, uh, Christian life. So I, I feel the push and pull kind of, of this chapter too. Kevin, I'm curious, like, as you, um, like, this may be an obvious question, but as you think about this chapter, I'm curious, like, for you personally, what led you to write it? Yeah. Like, there's, like, I'm sure many ways you could think about baptism abuses as many different kind of subjects you could tackle there. And any any reader, I think, can charitably say, well, yeah, he doesn't have space to write about every baptismal abuse. Uh, but this is the one that you lead off this section with. Right. So... Yeah, kind of curious for your own reflections, what led you to this chapter? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh, People have noticed when they go through the um, table of contents, baptism abuse, like they don't expect that Mm. uh, intuitively in a a book on baptism. But then once they start to think about it, and once I started to think about it, there was no shortage of topics, obviously. I think this comes from our year of baptism study as a church way back when, almost 10 years ago now. Where uh, it struck me then, and it struck me for a long time, Aaron, you are alluding to this already, that people uh, are more polarized, it feels like to us, than ever before. I'm reading a biography of Ulysses S. Grant. So in world in Civil War, that may have been a, a more polarizing time. But right. we'll just say it's highly polarized right now, whether mm-hmm. it's the most ever. And it strikes me that people identify, first of all, sometimes as Republicans, first of all, sometimes as Democrats, first of all, sometimes as Australians, first of all, sometimes as their race or whatever. But baptism is a way to say, no, Aaron, you said this so beautifully already, I think. That's first. Hmm. And what does that mean if baptism is first for this whole host of things? And then specifically, what does it mean if baptism is first in terms of um, how I think about my national identity? I think uh, part of why I wrote this chapter was a reaction to some teaching in a college that I've done as well, where folks, uh, we talked about we all have our emotions, and maybe people listening are in tune with their emotions already right now, thinking (laughs) I'm emotionally charged right now, for or against. So this is an emotional subject, and that's that's kind of interesting. We really care about, uh, many people do, their love for country or the way people talk about their country. Maybe one of the times I thought I have to write this chapter is when someone who I appreciate so much uh, happened to be of one political party said, I am praying against the other political party. I'm praying that God will send them to judgment immediately. I'm praying that God will deal harshly with them. And there was a lot of heat uh, and a lot of imprecatory psalms, we would say, but Mm. there wasn't a lot of grace or baptismal understanding. And again, because it was so emotional for this person, it was hard for them to take a step back and say, okay, now... How do I think about my baptism in terms of this? Or how do I think about my faith? Yeah. Yeah. I could go on, but I'll pause there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's, yeah. Well said. And yes, I can imagine the where um, we're raising blood pressures maybe just by having this conversation. <laughs> just, you're talking about what? Yeah. Uh, right. But I think that's the value of not only your work in this book, but then the opportunity to have these conversations is, okay, we can, we're capable of sitting down and talking about these things. Um, you know, one of the, it feels like one of the threads you're trying to put through the eye of the needle, so to speak, you're trying to weave this pattern where you are trying to preserve a degree of healthy patriotism, 
Right. And you were trying to put baptism first. Right. And there's a pretty big tension in there and you're like walking this like narrow, maybe it's like just barely a, a ledge on the side of a cliff. Uh, but I think you're doing it pretty deftly. But I was curious, you know, because so we've talked about baptism first, but one of the things you say on the top of page 121 is... It's nice that you have this book memorized. <laughs> oh, man, that, that means, the, it means a lot yeah, to that's me. That's right. Pull the page number without... Yeah, that's looking. right. Baptism reminds us that we, and then you have in italics, with our cultural experience and country of origin, are deeply included in this new community called the church. And actually, on my first read, I circled with... And then I put a little comment, why? In other words, that chapter, that sentence can read, baptism reminds us that we are deeply included in this new community called the church. But here, early, this is early in the chapter, right. you're going to emphasize with our cultural experience and country of origin. And I just wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit more sure. about that. Like, um, the question is, why do we need to be baptized with our culture cultural experience like why we can't leave that at the door yeah well why why does baptism include that why does it honor that why is it not just superseding that and saying here's a whole new people uh and that that's you know so so far secondary that it's almost not relevant to baptism mm -hmm. in other words why is that a significant piece of of what you're naming i think it's part of your uh never never mind i was yeah I think it's part of the tension that you're trying to navigate the in the chapter. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's an excellent question. And I think um, the, the beauty of baptism is it's both, I think. It's both first and it honors where you're coming from and where you might be. You think of where we end up in the book of Revelation. There's people from every tongue and tribe and nation praising God, saying, uh, worthy is the Lamb. It doesn't say there's just one group of people and they all look alike or they all think alike. At that moment, maybe they, they think alike because they're in worship of God Almighty and what he's mm -hmm. done and the salvation story and the healing he's brought. But even at the end of Revelation uh, as well, there's the healing of all the nations. That's sort of interesting. And John's book of Revelation is really, it's really plagiarized. Most of the Old Testament is what John is doing, <laughs> to put it one way. Or to put it a little more fairly to him, he's... He's trusting the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament to lead him to say something new for that particular moment. And one of the places he, I think, learns a lot from is the last few chapters of Isaiah. So in Isaiah 60, 61, and towards the end, Isaiah has this vision of all the nations with their treasures coming into the kingdom of God, coming into the new Jerusalem. That's amazing, right? Mm. So it's... Uh, People from Ethiopia with their treasures, people from what we now call Spain with their treasures, people with uh, no sense of the Old Testament God coming with their treasures because those treasures are from God, not just from them. And I think that is something to say about our baptism. Um, to put it, let me go like as a contrast for a little bit. Yeah. So um, I have some friends who grew up on a Navajo uh, reservation and some white missionaries, well-intended, came to them and said, we're going to start a school, so you have the best school we can f think about. And in that school, unfortunately, um, they made people dress in a way that was Caucasian and white majority culture. They made people speak in a way, and people would be slapped or punished or um, put down for doing anything kind of Navajo. And they got some things right. They wanted to elevate people in, in the sense of uh, having the best education they could. But they didn't trust that God might be working in their Navajo-ness to do something specially Navajo and 
Christian at the same time. Like God doesn't put down Navajo any more than he puts down Irish or Italian or uh, Peruvian. But he brings out the beauty of that because somehow that, it seems like that's from him mm. in some way. So that gets, it's part of what gets redeemed. So those are some, I think, examples or some reasons I think it's important we, we realize we are both baptized, but we are baptized, oh, and by the way, we're Irish, or baptized, and by the way, we're Peruvian, or ba- baptized, and by the way, we're Navajo. You, you guys have heard me say uh, many times there's this book called Whose Religion is Christianity by Laman Sana. He's gone to glory now, but Laman Sana believed that when the Europeans came and uh, taught about the faith, Part of, part of the group wanted them to become baptized Europeans, right? Mm. The West mm. Africans to be that. But he said, when we re- met the true Jesus, it was like the stars aligned and we could beat our African drums for Jesus mm-hmm. because he made us truer Africans than we could imagine being in any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I don't feel like I'm by myself in walking this tension. I think <laughs> I have some good company. But um, it is a tension that's hard to get right. And I think that's why it's an important conversation to have. And why it's important a book like this comes from the womb of the church, because mm-hmm. this is where we live it out and we get to live. I don't know. There might be a few people in our church who would like to go to a church with all Republicans mm-hmm. or all Democrats or all Irish people or all Peruvians. But I think most of us, at least we keep helping people in this direction, want to be part of a church that images revelation, mm. right? Where the, the treasures of the nation are being cultivated and honored and brought in. Yeah. I, that's a really helpful answer, Kevin. I, it was as I was thinking about it and hearing your answer, I thought, you know, you're you're doing two things here. It's both that baptism is first, but baptism is also everything. Yes. Like so, baptism is a primary identity, but then there is no secondary or tertiary identity that isn't impacted by baptism. Right. So the nation, like as you were talking about the nations bringing their treasures, I was like, what's interesting? The nations aren't bringing their idols. Right. Right. They're bringing the best in this kind of uh, revelation kind of vision uh, that Isaiah has. Uh, They're not bringing sort of all their sinful practices and all these things to God. Now there's a purifying kind of happening. And that's, that seems like part of what baptism invites us to in every part of our identity, including our ethnic, our political, our cultural identities is, okay, what are the parts that need to die and what are the parts to rise? Right. Right. And, uh, when we realize that that starts to impact, not only is we have a primary identity, but it impacts all of the identities. Uh, I think that can that shifts our conversation a little bit more too. So that, I appreciate your answer. Yeah, I like that, Matt. <clears throat> it's almost like you we baptize all this this long list of identities. It's almost like we baptize each identity. Right? Uh-huh. It's like that's a, a helpful image for me. Although sometimes when we like that, even the language yeah. is like gets slippery, fraught, right? Because sometimes we talk about baptizing as like sometimes we use that verb in terms of like accepting. So yeah. you sort of ironically, yeah, it's kind of an iron like we use it ironic. That's not how we're using it here, mm, right? Um, but you could think of baptized patriotism as you know do whatever you want, and we've given you permission to do that, right? Yes, but exactly. what you put so well is no baptism calls us to die and rise in lots of different ways, and it calls our our patriotism to die and then rise in a new way potentially as well. Right. Well, you talk, uh, I want to get to patriotism because I think that's fascinating to talk about, but you talk before that about these two, I don't know, almost temptations, rival versions right? in this civil religion and in nationalism. Uh, and you know, one of my questions as I read it and you called them the siren song 
at one point, which I thought <laughs> was just like pretty much perfect. And especially you identified yourself as belonging to a kind of a majority culture, kind of a culture in power at one point in the book, which I thought was really helpful to name. And I think I look at us and I see three white men sitting in the room. I would use the phrase handsome white <laughs> handsome. men, three, but just a point taken. Three culturally and conventionally very attractive white men. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point of this being, not, 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 the point of this being that if there are people to whom the siren song of civil religion and nationalism is going to be most appealing, it is those who those systems or those cultures elevate to positions of power sure. by default. Right. Um, and so I'm curious, how does baptism help, help everyone, but then also help people like us resist the siren song of these kind of corrupted uh, visions of our identity? And Q's a, a, such a wonderful example because he's Q, and if you know him, you know exactly what that means. But he comes in as a Korean-American, when he, he comes in from Korea as a Korean person at 12, now he becomes a Korean-American over the years. Now he's someplace past his adulthood. And he becomes a chaplain in the United States Army, which is an interesting choice for someone who is basically a third culture kid. So we talk about that, and maybe that's worth explaining. Someone born in one culture, someone who moves to another culture, and every third culture kid, no matter what your country of origin is, no matter what your country of adoption is, you kind of share the space of you belong, but you don't belong. And Q's a wonderful example of how people have done studies that those folks, whether they start in Korea and go to the United States or start in Nigeria and go to Peru or start in uh, the Philippines and go to uh, France, that they share that middleness. And we put a bunch of third culture people in the room. They're like, ah, we get each other in certain ways. Hmm. That's not a bad picture of baptism in some ways. Hmm. Uh, Q has done an amazing, right, by joining the, the United States Army, the, the land of his adoption, he's come not to exercise power, ironically, in the army, but to serve people. And that's a pretty good example of someone who says, I want to honor my country, I want to honor my adopted country, but in a way that's faithful to my bigger calling, which is to honor my God. And mm. part of that, because he's a chaplain, but you'd like to think you could do that as a lieutenant in charge of a brigade or a general or whatever he could else become. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as one example, think of the, about the centurion who's in the Gospel of Mark. He's watching Jesus die. And at the end of the book, he says, the end of Mark, that is chapter 16, I think, he says, surely this man was the Son of God. Um, yeah, it's not 16, but it's another chapter in Mark. But you think, okay, that person, so let's say that person became a believer. What would it mean for that centurion in the Roman army to follow Christ, to be baptized? Would it mean for him to change jobs and become a musician in the local church? <laughs> would it mean uh, he become, what, what does that mean? Well, I think that, that, he would, that he would get a chance to live his baptiz, baptized patriotism would be uh, the way to go. Like his to live as, not, again, not in permission giving, but in the sense of this is my, my core identity is to follow this person who I just saw die with such nobility. And then what does, that, what does that mean for all, what are all the implications, the whole host of implications? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're get kind of touching on another question, at least for me, because there's plenty of Christian traditions that would say, uh, no, can't be a soldier anymore. Yeah, right. Right. 
Um, and the early church wasn't crazy about acting either. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind things. of a list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think there's one of the questions here, of course, is the tension places, right? So earlier we were talking about, I talked about the nations aren't bringing their idols. And yet every culture and every part of our identity has various idols. And navigating, how do we navigate when those come into conflict? It, it's another version, I think, of the siren song <laughs> question right. when uh, sort away. of the idol looks so attractive. How do we how do we resist? Um, and I, I think part part of the, part of one answer is actually by having a conversation like this, right? Because especially for those who uh, easily kind of find themselves just floating along in the comfort of a culture, uh, it can be it's sort of like the water around you that you're not even aware is there. And so even having the conversation can begin to invite us into, oh, interesting. Okay, well, what are the treasures? And then right. also, what are the idols? I think of baptism, too, is it's such an invitation to give up power. Right. In other words, there's, there's no hierarchy when you get baptized. Like, you are, you're at the same level as anyone else who gets baptized, right? There's no, oh, this is like, like this person applied for baptism plus, and, and this, <laughs> right. this, got, this person got the, the platinum baptism this week. Like, Which comes with mileage points, right, and yeah, you can exactly. fly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, it, we are just baptized and pastors are baptized and like we are all baptized and there's something fundamentally unifying about that um i think one one of the invitations of your whole book kevin i think is to cling to our baptism not only for the hope that it gives us and the grace it gives us but for the ways it then touches every part of us and i think one of the ways it reminds us in this cultural piece is cultures are always trying to do uh, just because of our fallenness, they're always trying to elevate themselves, it seems like, above other cultures. Right. We love this about who we are, and we don't like this about who you are. And sometimes that gets incredibly ugly, right? Racism and all these things come out of that. But clinging to our baptism reminds us something about the unifying and the, and the leveling impact of what Jesus has done. Yeah. Um, that was one kind of reflection I had. Yeah, I love that, Matt. It's a good reminder that uh, there's this cliche, which is happens to be a good one, which beneath the cross of Jesus, there's only one level, there's one floor, mm -hmm. there's not uh, higher and lower people. We're all uh, needing what he's done on the cross and then what he did on Easter Sunday, right? I, I was struck by uh, a living example of that by some folks in our church who are from the Ukraine, whose country has been invaded by Russia. And uh, they were very careful to say, hey, we love our country, or we, we're really protective of it, especially right now. But we don't want to uh, turn the Russian soldiers especially into uh, objects of hatred because mm -hmm. we know they're in a tangle of their own loyalties and obligations and kind of responsibility to their families. There are some, they were quick to say, who are, I think they used the word ogres, who are, uh, <laughs> which I thought was fairly mild considering some things that have been done. Yeah. But he said, but they said, we just, on the other hand, want to pray for and love these Russian folks. And I thought, what a beautiful, I thought that's an example of someone living their baptism, mm. who appreciates their country, values their country, is protective of their country, but doesn't completely vilify the country that's invaded them. I think that's quite remarkable, actually. Yeah. But mm. I think your phrase of, but they are grounded, whether they would articulate this or not, they are grounded to their baptism. They are anchored, one of the early churches favorite phrases they're anchored mm. to their baptism which is pretty significantly different than someone who says my baptism is just my witness it's just my testimony no it's your anchor to think about your whole life yeah. 
that's a great anecdote, Kevin. I mean, these are it's an example of folks who are living as baptized people before they're living as Ukrainians uh, right. or even as Americans, I feel like. Hmm. I want to move us to talk about this baptized patriotism. We've talked about some of the tensions I in the knew you, I knew you were going to go there, Matt. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you, essentially, I don't even have to ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> or for our Canadian listeners. Do we have Canadian listeners? Oh, Canada. So. Oh, this is <laughs> an international podcast. That's what I was told when I sat down here. <laughs> That's how we the lure people in. We don't know that it's true. It's epic. We have no kind of analytics to prove it, but we say around the world. Um, I feel like I don't even have to ask the questions uh, because you ask the questions. Uh, this is directly quoting, uh, how can we have a healthy loyalty to and affection for our country or ethnicity or state or neighborhood? Is it possible to love our nation or neighborhood without unknowingly idolizing it? And if so, how? What strategies can we use to keep patriotism in bounds, subordinate to our baptismal identity? You made my job so easy. I, I would just add... <laughs> Someone should write a book answering those questions. <laughs> I would just add, add another question. One of the things I was thinking about is, you know, we've, we've talked already about some of the slipperiness of language here right? How we talk about baptizing right. sometimes ironically as sort of permission giving. And then we're trying to talk about it in a different way as kind of the dying and rising Re- rhythm of baptism, yeah. and reclaiming that language. Uh, but one of my questions was, is love even the right word in, in maybe our Christian context, uh, where we often think of love and we think maybe of God's love and we think of Jesus' instruction to love our enemies. And there's something unconditional almost about that. Is love the right word when we think about patriotism and our posture towards our country? Or are there other words? Or maybe we do. We want to reclaim sort of a love of country as the right way to talk about this. But uh, there's like 15 questions in there, which is what I'm good at. Uh, Have at it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there's a type of love where... I'll just go on the love question. Yeah, great. There's a type of love where it can be gently rebuking. It can be critical. It can be um, aware of uh of faults mm-hmm. and um desire long for in some ways if it's if it's uh if it's repentance if it's a if it's corrective loving something doesn't mean that that thing is perfect except for my wife who is perfect <laughs> <laughs> uh, when it comes to country i think i think love is an okay w- word but it does feel a little weird for me personally doesn't yeah. feel weird for some the, the two uh, born in the USA Americans here are okay with love. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to the mat for love. Like I wouldn't go. I wouldn't um, die on that hill, so to speak. But mm-hmm. I think it's. I think it's appropriate. Um, the Greeks, right, talked about uh, different kinds of loves and different kinds of affections and different kinds of responsibilities. So I think it's in kind of that spirit. You have affection for your country. You feel a kind of. Uh, pleasure or pride and it, it's like these are my people yeah in the there's there's negative ways like we're better than you are sure mm-hmm. i think i say in the book you know you can imagine a, a mug that says world's number one dad well you may or may not you may own the mug <laughs> you may or may not be the world's number one dad it's a little bit of hyperbole so when we say on the fourth of july our country's the best it could mean we've bought into it and everybody else we we could imagine someone saying, literally, go to hell. But it could mean, I love my country, and I want what's best for it. So I want, so loving my country means I'm going to work for educational opportunities and stellar schools for everyone. 
Love for country could mean I want sewer systems to work. There's a legend that John Calvin died with a sewer system planned for the city of Geneva on his desk. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I want good uh, plumbing for everyone. I want mm-hmm. good uh, opportunities for everyone. So there's a way to do that, I think, to be affectionate and to say these are the folks I care about. And it's part of our identity. It's not the biggest part, but I think it's part of our identities. I'll, I'll stop there and see if you have any kind of... I think that's great, Kevin. I was just going to maybe, as you were talking, it's it's like, I think back, when you think about founding, you know, I'm not a huge American history buff, but the founding fathers and a lot of their really thoughtful uh, documents that they like, I think of Hamilton and just all the writing and all the creating and all the thinking ahead to what's going to have, you know, what's going to be in store for us. It was all about the good of the people. It wasn't about, um, it wasn't about strengthening, you know, uh, sort of uh, faceless institutions and militaries and stuff. I mean, part of that is part of having a government, but the idea was let's create a government that is, uh, that if we're going to use the word love, that loves its people. Hmm. I think this is, this is a really fascinating conversation. Multiple times here we've dealt with language. So Aaron, like very early on, you talked about appreciating like the word baptized yeah, even in opposition to Christian, in the sense of distinguishing Stere- stereotypical yeah. Christian yeah, yeah, yeah. And, stuff, and we've yeah. talked about baptism, and it's kind of slightly—I mean, it seems pretty obvious what it is—and yet then we use it in these different ways. And here, I think we're talking again about what love means. It strikes me that this is the exact chapter that would evoke this, because so much of the ways that we talk about cultural and political identity and national identity are rooted in language. You actually have a pretty like significant portion of the chapter where you're charting, you kind of put on your sociology yeah, uh, major well hat and you chart yeah, right. through right American presidents and some of their speeches. And you uh, cite, I think, Kennedy's 1961 inaugural address and the way he's using God in there in kind of amorphous ways, but to kind of baptize in that ironic way the speech and his presidency uh, and all of America in right. some ways. And so, in some sense, I can imagine a listener listening and thinking, man, that's really the kind of picking on language here. And yet, it's so much about how cultures form themselves and their self-awareness of what we do. Because I hear what both of you guys are saying about love. But love is expansive. It has all these elements to it that are really true. And yet, I think when someone tells me, I love my country, uh, like there's a whole set of assumptions that immediately sort of culturally in our context, in a divisive context, get applied to what they mean by that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, in terms of, uh, often often that's raised as a, like, don't you love your country to to sort of shut down critique, <laughs> shut right. down the very thing that we're, right. we're arguing love encompasses. So one of the tensions as we navigate sort of the, the narrow path here of a baptized patriotism I'm wrestling with is, at what point does, does words or language get so co-opted in the conversation by a negative kind of interpretation that we, we need to find another one? Or do we try to claim it back? And Kevin, I think the argument of your book is baptism allows us space and a breadth to try to claim it back. And I, I'm still wrestling with it here. So. I, I love that. I think that's a great image. I was thinking, here's another example. I was uh, hearing about someone who grew up in Nigeria and... Uh, loved all things Nigerian, and then was transplanted in the Midwest in a university setting. And he said, for the first time in Nigeria, he said, I was minority culture as a Caucasian person with European roots. Then I went to this this college, this university in the Midwest. Suddenly, everybody looked like me, but I thought, 
he, he says to himself, but I thought, but I'm not like them. I'm Nigerian. Mm -hmm. And so he grew a long ponytail and uh, busted out all his Nigerian clothes. And here's this Caucasian guy going across this campus in his Nigerian garb. Mm -hmm. I think he was saying, I love Nigeria. Like, you guys are okay too, but I love Nigeria. Or I have affection for, or I have a sense of belonging to. Um, and I think that's full of possibilities. So um, it's also full of pitfalls. So that's why it needed a whole chapter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, that the uh, the imagery of belonging is really powerful too, right? So if you're changing sort of how it's sort of your appearance, he's not changing his skin color, but if he's changing his clothes and he identifies, you know, as as a, as a Nigerian before <laughs> a Midwestern white person, yeah, right. <laughs> And then went powerful. back to Nigeria and was part of and is part of uh, organizations that are really plowing all kinds of resources into Nigeria to help folks all through Nigeria mm. who don't have access to some startup funds or some uh, you know green energy funds and he's making all these kind of things possible. So he's like a prototype of someone who loves where they're from, loves his people, but not in a way that puts down anybody else. Mm. I love I love the image of the love that we're talking about as being full of possibilities. I think that's really rich. I almost feel like we need to say, I love my country, full like I love with a love that's full of possibilities. My country, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I mean that's some of the the yeah. tension I feel. I love the potential of uh, this yeah, yeah. And and some of our listeners grew up where it's America, love it or leave it. Like mm -hmm. for some folks, that's that's deep in their soul. Like, if you don't like it here, if you have any questions, then go to Canada. Maybe that's, to, yeah, I think Mexico. that's part of what I'm wrestling with. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my heart goes out to folks like that. I think I would encourage folks like that to take a step back and say, well, you know, in your heart that we've done some things wrong over the last 200 plus years. Mm -hmm. Can we have a, a conversation that's a little less emotional, um, a little less heated and a little more uh, conversational. So, uh, and talk about these expanded possibilities. Mm. I found that, and it's not just generational, I found that in uh, younger students too. Mm. And there may have been some PTSD involved, but mm. it's, for some folks, the emotions are so charged here, it's difficult to have a conversation like we're right. having. So my heart goes out to them, but it's kind of a plea to them as well to say, can you find someone and enter a conversation like that? And mm. I think baptism, obviously I wrote the chapter on that, and that we're talking about, but baptism creates all kinds of possibilities to have that conversation in yeah. a way that can really ground us, I think. Maybe it's, I love the treasures of my culture, or yeah, I love the treasures yeah, 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 of yeah, my country. Brilliant. And then I recognize there's a whole host of things that won't be brought to God at the end of all things, right? And those are the things I work against because I... I, I want more treasures, <laughs> right. so to speak. It's that dying and rising, yeah. isn't it? To be mm -hmm. for some things is to be against other things. And sometimes those things are connected, but they shouldn't be. Yeah. Hmm. So, bless you. We're going to leave that in. <laughs> that was a good vampire sneeze right into the elbow. That's how to do it. Right Nicely there. done. You learned that from the Muppets to go full circle. <laughs> this, is, this is something we could... I could talk about for a long time, or at least listen to Kevin talk about it for a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's deep. It's deep for some people, this national identity. Like one maybe concluding reflection for me, and then feel free to add much better concluding reflections, is that, you know, we talked about, I talked about earlier, baptism 
sort of leveling us in so many ways. But one of the outcomes of that is a hospitality. So Kevin, you were just talking about, you know, having conversations with people that requires a level of hospitality, right? Where we, where we either check our strong emotions or we bring those in safe ways to conversation. Right. And so we hope that this conversation is a hospitable one that invites people in and into reflection. But then also as we think about engaging people of other cultures, but also like each of us, like there's so many sort of micro cultures in so many ways, each of us, whether it's generationally or all so many things, so many identities that we each carry that are dif differentiating us from each other. So the call of baptism to hospitality towards one another across difference, um, I think, and extending a love not only for the treasures of our culture, but then a love for the treasures of other people's cultures is really a rich invitation that baptism brings us into. And maybe wanting to share those cultures, right? Yeah, those treasures of totally. our culture. Yeah, has a little glimpse of uh, heaven in the final days, yeah. the, the new days, the yeah. next era. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so interesting what you said, Matt, that... Um, there are there are a hundred ways you know we can be for the Lincoln fighting zebras of Lincoln High School, which <laughs> yeah, means we're right. against Whitney uh, High School. We can be Northern Californias because we don't mm. like those people from Southern California. We can be uh, Californians, not people from Nevada. We can be people from the West Coast, not people from the East Coast who say Nevada instead <laughs> of Nevada. Uh, there's a hundred ways we can separate, but baptism is always bringing us together. Mm. And it, it brings us together somewhat amazingly in a way that honors who we are, but doesn't leave us there and calls us to a bigger group. So when someone walks into your church from uh, the, you know, a country you don't really know anything about or from a tradition of the church you don't know anything about, you say, well, we're baptized together. We have so much in common. We have mm. more in common than we have uh, not in common. And that's, that's a way of thinking about baptism, which is, which is pretty beautiful, I think, and, and the way it should be. I would be so humble as to suggest <laughs> <laughs> standing on the shoulders of the early church. Yeah, mm. that's a great final word. Yeah, there's plenty more in this chapter for people to go and read. We certainly invite them to, to do that. Uh, our next conversation, you know, we've talked about perhaps one of the more divisive topics of our current American culture and landscape today. But next time. But next time, we're going to be time. looking at the final chapter, chapter 12, One Baptism. And Kevin's just given us a beautiful preview of some of the conversation there, the ways that baptism brings people together. We'll be talking about that more. And we'll just copy and paste that into the next <laughs> episode right. if we need <laughs> to kick things off. It's perfect yeah, to, right. to kick things off. Okay, the opening, great. The opening. So, opening and closing. But if you want to read ahead, chapter 12, One Baptism. Uh, if you are reading in order, you'll have read the whole book then. Yeah. Uh, to get ready for our next conversation next month. You will have done it. And it's worth reading twice. I've read some of it twice already, too. So, yeah. Uh, friends, thanks for joining us, uh, and we will uh, continue and conclude the book, as Matt just said, the next episode. So until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. I'm Kevin. Thanks for being curious with us. Mm -hmm.